0: The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show.
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well.
0: Ha 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 Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 14, Episode 9. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you courtesy of authors Kyle Harrison, Seth Paul, Will Dolphin, and Dale Thompson. Tonight, we'll hear stories of mysterious motels, treacherous toys vexing visitors, and dangerous deliverers. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now... It's time to take a walk together down the Moonlit Trail, so lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. (laughs) The show is about to begin. (laughs) Tis the season. It's a time of winter storms, freezing cold, and of course, presents. I love getting gifts from people in my life, especially if they have interesting stories to tell. Take this envelope I was sent by my good friend Kyle Harrison. Up here on the shelf is an old motel key. At first I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do with it, but then he explained that it belongs to an old motel along the freeway with a very interesting history, as well as a caretaker who has a story to share. Would you like to hear it? Without further ado, I present to you... The Motel. It was cold. The type of cold that can cut right through like a knife. Or turn clear roads into icy death traps. The alert came on my CB radio right at 3.30 as I prepared to cross through to Seattle. All roads closed, it said... "'Winter Weather Advisory, in effect until 10.30 the next morning. "'I tried to follow the route for as long as possible "'until the cars formed a stationary line. "'Their standstill told me any chance of meeting my deadline was shot. "'I put on my brakes and hopped out of the cab, "'my boots crunching the ground with a resounding echo, "'as I went to see what was causing the delay.' I needed a good excuse to file a report with home base, or I risked being chewed out for not attempting to find an alternate route. I wasn't the only one following the gleaming ice toward the peak, but four or five other drivers had also come to challenge the wintry wrath. It didn't take us long to see that any argument would be futile. What lay in front of us was nothing short of cruel— Mother Nature showering us with an embankment of snow blocking the majority of the road. Well, that settles it then, one man said as he tossed a used cigarette into the cold. God damn, a second agreed. My boss is going to kill me. Those were the only words I could think of that seemed relevant. Yeah, that sucks. Who are you running with? Another stranger asked as he moved closer to the snow and checked to see just how strong it was with his bare hands. Night, you? I asked, joining him and wondering if the roads really would be clear by morning. This looks bad. Anything on the CB about plows coming, he asked. Someone muttered a response, and even though I couldn't make out the words, I knew it wasn't anything good. Well, crap. "'It was my chance at an early Christmas,' the stranger next to me joked. (laughs) "'No kidding. My wife was expecting me in Seattle. "'And now what am I supposed to do, sit in my car and burn fuel to stay warm?' "'Screw that,' the guy behind us muttered. "'As though, to answer our collective dissatisfaction with our situation, "'a burst of light came from behind us on the mountain highway.' At first, it looked like fireworks had gone off, but then, as the skies cleared a bit, I realized it was a motel sign. Heck, it's better than freezing our butts off here,' the man next to me remarked. The four of us trekked toward it without complaint. A few of the others, in the line of traffic, glanced at us as we made our way back down the slope to where a path split off to take us to the hideaway, some giving the impression to me they thought we were fools— "'for not just waiting out the storm. "'But I've seen bad weather like this before in my career. "'The cold we were experiencing now "'was probably just the onset of a brutal few days' worth "'of plummeting temperatures and risky roads. "'Shelter was the most viable option at this point, "'even if it was a hole-in-the-wall type. "'Predictably, the place looked deserted, "'save for our silhouettes approaching.' Only two cars marked the icy parking lot, and I wondered if both of them belonged to the owner. I never did get a response to that, seeing as when we made it inside the office, there wasn't a trace of any manager. Is it abandoned? Looks that way. My gaze drifted to behind the counter where several keys were still dangling on the wall. There was just enough that each of us could have a separate room. "'Guess it's on the house,' I joked as I whipped around the front desk and grabbed them. "'Strange, though. It looks like one guest already checked in. Tobias W.' wonder who that is.' The man next to me muttered as he checked through the guest book. "'Probably another traveler coming from the cold.' "'What does it matter?' the third man muttered. "'Well, it's just that if he took the time to sign in, that must mean the manager's around somewhere, right?' Maybe we should wait, he suggested. You do that, Sparky. Hey, cowboy, toss me a key, the fourth chuckled. I gladly obliged him, but still, just to seem amicable, I suggested. I'm sure they'd probably run out to buy some space heaters or something. This place looks like it was built in the 1930s. I doubt central heat and air are part of the amenities.' That seemed to satisfy the other man's curiosity for the moment, but he also felt obliged to lay down a $20 tip for the missing owner as recompensation for his keys. Our conversations ended there, each of us retiring to our rooms and trying to get some sleep. I did watch a little cable TV first, though, just to settle down. When morning came, I made for the front office to see if the manager had even arrived, "'but it still looked just as bare as the night before. "'The only thing that was different "'was that a new name had been added to the registry. "'R. "'Must be one of the people I came here with, I figured. "'Maybe the nervous one who wanted to find the owner in the first place. "'My speculation was interrupted by a newcomer entering the office, "'his body covered in winter gear from head to toe, "'as it came out from the cold. "'Who the hell are you?' he asked.' Nice to meet you too. I'm Kyle, I told him. He undid his scarf and muttered, Are you the one that killed Tobias? What? I don't even know who that is, I stuttered. He held my gaze for a moment as though it was sizing up whether I was lying or not. Name's Ross, and Tobias was the first to arrive here. Before, well before others started showing up, he muttered. I scratched the back of my neck nervously as he surveyed the office and noticed all the keys missing. How many came here with you? Ross asked. There are five of us. Why? Any of you know one another before this? Not that I can say. I don't know any of them. What's this all about? I muttered. Where are they? As though, to answer his question, the others were mulling out of their cabins coming to the office to see what was up. Ross covered his face up again and then, as the others entered, he gestured for us to follow him. Uh, good morning, then, one man whispered. We moved away from the motel toward the south, a slope of ice blanketing the mountain trail. Eventually, we came to a ravine. Nick pointed toward the edge of the canyon where he saw the broken carcass of a man amid the rocks. It looked fresh, but it may have simply been there because the cold weather slowed the decomposition process. Tobias? I presumed? He told me that a group of guests would be arriving soon, Ross said as the cold wind picked up. What? Is he a prophet or something? He also said one of the guests would kill him. Nick remarked, ignoring the sarcasm. We followed the ravine a bit further until I saw four bodies, all dead in a slush. Most of them looked like they'd been there a while, quite a while. But one thing was beyond a certainty. The bodies resembled me and my new companions down to the slightest feature. We all stood at the lip of the ravine for a few minutes, taking in the sight of... I guess, ourselves, for a few minutes. The biggest of the bunch, the one who called everyone cowboy, chimed in first... "'Well, okay. I'll be the first one to say it. "'Just what in the geezly jumped-up hell is going on here?' "'I turned to face him and saw his name patch on his blue coveralls that said Rusty. "'Well, Rusty, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, "'but it appears we are looking at ourselves down there in that ravine, only more dead. "'Hmm,' was all he said.' taking out a crumpled pack of smokes and offering them around. I took one and lit up. Not like I have to worry about dying of cancer, I guess, I said dryly, nodding down at the grisly scene in the ravine. I was doing my best to remain calm. One of the other men, a small wiry guy with aviator specs and a greasy John Deere cap, spoke up. Guys, I don't even know you. Don't know any of you. And I, for sure, don't know what's going on. Like, is this a bad gas station burrito dream, and I'm still holed up in that weird motel, or if it's real? Look at five dead guys, all of us in that Tobias, dude, down in the ravine, and I'm freezing my balls off here. All of us in the ravine except Ross, that is. Ross turned on him and shook a beady fist in the small guy's face. Look, I wouldn't hit a guy with glasses, but besides current events, you got anything to share? You got any ideas? How the hell did Tobias know one of you was going to kill him? And how come you guys just happened to show up and then end up in there, he said, jabbing his finger at the bodies lying in the icy slush. Hold up there, Ross, just... Slow your roll for a sec, I said. I think we all need to get a grip, but before we do that, we need to get warm and then get help. And the pilot's right. You are the only one in this little merry band who isn't represented among the corpsicles down there in Ravine. Anyway, we're not going to do ourselves any damn good if we die of exposure out here. Like it or not, we got a band together, and to do that, we got to know who is who and how they come to be here. Rusty said, "'Finally, someone's talking some sense. "'We got him, but Ross cut him off. "'I ain't got one whit of an idea about who's what, where, "'and who is dead, and who ain't, "'but I got a bottle of Old Crow back at the motel, "'and I'm not one bit ashamed to say "'I need a hit of that right now in the worst way. "'Hopefully there's a radio or a CB in the office, "'and we can yelp for help "'and make some sense out of this crap show together.' I'm okay with that, Rusty said, though I prefer rubble y'all myself. Less of a bite. But I'm off for getting warm and figuring out who all y'all are. i got a Costco pack of Slim Chims in my rig I can wrestle up and share around. Goes great with cheap whiskey. Although I don't see how all the whiskey in the world is going to make sense of what's going on down there. The last man in the group, a tall, skinny kid with acne and a tattered denim jacket with rock band patches on it, faced the group. But what do we do with them? With... with us? He made no attempt to hide the shakiness in his voice. I put a hand on his shoulder, felt a tremor there. Nothing, son. Nothing right now. We can't help them anymore, kid. Whoever they are or were. We can only help ourselves, and to do that, we got to get back to shelter, get warm, and figure out a few things. I know you're scared. I am, too, truth be told. But right now, in this place, we're all we have. If any one of us is going to make it off this mountain and back to the ones we know and love, we're going to have to do it together. I spoke to Ross and jammed my numbing hands deep into my parka. Ross, get us back to the trucks in the motel... You know the way? Uh, yeah, up, up over that ridge, he said, pointing behind us. Okay, I'm not appointing myself leader or anything like that, but I'd suggest we make a run past the rigs, see if there's anything there that can help us, maybe make a call on the CB while we gather supplies. Assuming the pass is still snowed in, we head to the motel and hunker down. This might be a while. Four sets of eyes regarded me with a mix of fear, weariness, and cold. You all good with that for now? Four heads nodded. We set off for the trucks. We crested the hill following Ross, and we're just around the bend from where I thought the rig should be when he stopped short. This is it, Ross said. Rusty lit another cigarette and said, This is what? "'Where the trucks are, where the trucks should be. "'They were gone. "'The whole road was gone. "'I could see nothing but a vast expanse of white, "'dotted with pine trees and the odd boulder. "'The motel sign was still visible in the distance, "'rising up out of the cold mist with an eerie red glow. "'Our tracks from when we exited the truck started abruptly, "'about twenty feet in front of us, "'then led to the right, towards the motel.' "'I turned to Ross. You sure? Like, sure, sure?' "'I saw the same temper rise up that I'd seen flare when the little guy called him out for not being among the dead in the ravine. "'Do you not see the damn footprints coming out of nowheres, right up ahead?' he said angrily. "'Used to be a damn tracker for the seals years back. Yeah, I'm sure. He spat in the snow.' The five of us stamped our feet on the ground to get circulation going, clouds of vapor steaming with each breath. The mountaintop had turned misty, and our breath mingled with the thickening fog as the daylight died. "'Okay,' I said. "'Change of plans. Our tracks, right there?' I pointed to the footprints leading to the motel. "'Should take us back to safety. "'Or whatever passes for safety up here in Crazy Town.' To the motel, anyway. Let's hope that it's still there and not just the sign. The men took one last look around and made their way slowly to the motel through the snow. We were within about a hundred yards of the motel, still with only two cars in the parking lot, when Ross stopped short again. I found myself wishing he would quit doing that. What now, Ross? See for yourself, he said, pointing in the direction of the old motel. The mist cleared and the outlines of the weather-beaten building grew sharper. Five figures stood there, swaying slowly in the red clouded mist illuminated by the motel sign, all in various states of decomposition. The biggest was wearing tattered and blood-stained blue coveralls and stood next to a shorter figure in a John Deere cap streaked with gore. A large piece of his skull was missing, and the dome of his brain shone pink under the red fluorescence of the motel sign. Rusty spoke up first again. Well, hell, that seems to be our own psoriasis one more time. We cautiously continued on the path leading to the motel, making sure to steer clear of our rotting corpses. Up close I could smell the stench of decay, Sneaking a glance at my own mangled corpse, it was evident that no accident could have caused this. As we neared closer to the motel, we noticed the motel in a state of disarray it had not been in when we had left. Are we sure this is the same hotel, even? Rusty blurted out, I mean, for all we know, this could be the gates of hell. He at a point, there were some discernible and noticeable differences between this hotel and the one we had arrived at last night. Nothing was different in regards to the layout of the building, but the amount of decay would be impossible to have happened in the time that we'd been gone. As we inspected the motel, we heard a blood-curdling screech, followed by the corpse of Rusty slamming into the wall down the hallway. In his dying breath, he looked over where we were standing and mouthed a single word, RUN! RUN! "'It took me a second to realize that Rusty was standing right behind me, "'not the dead Rusty, the one that had been with me the whole time. "'I picked up my feet and didn't hesitate to comply, "'trying to find my way out and back to freedom. "'But was there really anywhere that I could be safe from this? "'Behind me I heard the Rusty I knew make another scream, "'almost identical to his zombie doppelganger, "'and I didn't have to guess what was happening.' "'I turned the corner, thinking I'd found a fire exit, only to be cornered by another corpse. "'There was little time to react, so I fell on the floor "'and vainly tried to protect myself with only my bare hands. "'The monsters loomed over me, and I thought this was the end. "'But then something unbelievable happened. "'They froze in place. "'I was thinking I'd get ripped limb from limb, but then, after a few moments of silence, "'I realized that they'd stopped their assault.' stood up slowly, getting a close look at these replicas and realizing that beyond the surface features of decay, they really were just like us. As I got closer to look at their facial features, suddenly the zombies reversed their actions. They walked backwards, shambling back to their starting points and disappearing into the ground itself. Even the sun began to move from west to east, returning the day back to where it started. All of us stood breathless in the lobby, struggling to understand what had just happened. "'Stupid time loop,' a voice from the top of the stairs said. We turned to the stairs in unison. A short, blonde woman stood there, brandishing a sawed-off shotgun. While we stood in silence, eyeing each other, the faint hiss of the barrel indicated she'd used it recently. She uttered a small, "'Tisk!' and shook her head, expression all unpleasantness. You lot again. At least you're not diseased this time. Ross piped up. You mean you've seen us before, ma'am? She sighed, gesturing to our deceased counterparts and muttered that this was the fourth or fifth time. So what happened on your end? I cut in. Manners aside, we needed to have a better idea of what was going on if we were going to fix it. She sauntered down to meet us, pulled up a relatively sturdy stool, and told us her tale. For starters, I'm Kathleen. This is my hotel, or given its state, what's left of it. I was pretty damn prepared to spend Christmas alone with no company but the cold. Wouldn't have been anything new. So I decided to keep busy, get moving, stay warm. And well, the old attic's been needing some attention, so I was up there cleaning. I remember finding something strange up there. Strange? How? Another asked. Kathleen just shook her head. I touched it. The whatever it was. I touched it, and there was a flash. At first, nothing changed, so I was about to get back to work, and I did. I might have heard you all come in, but thought it was something else. Hold on. The kid, who had his arms crossed, skeptical. You said you touched something in the attic? She nodded. And after that, you've been in the loop for what, four days? She nodded once more. So, what is it? Because we're all stuck in this mess now, thanks to whatever you did. And you'd better start getting real specific before I... Ross cut him off with a glare. This woman didn't stand a chance against Ross's build. So he kept his fury contained to himself... "'barely audibly muttering that he was dumb to follow us here. "'I just can't remember what it was I saw up there, "'and I would have gone back to check, "'except I've been occupied with other things.' "'She motioned once more to the carnage around us. "'As for how things ended up like this, "'I noticed things get noisy downstairs. "'That was probably when you arrived.' I noticed it was pretty rough out, so I wasn't about to hassle you folks for money. Not until the morning, anyway. Then there was shouting. When I got downstairs, the room keys were gone, and so were you all. Door left wide open. Then my motel started aging fast, real fast. And this time around, you came back, but you were looking for a piece of me, so I shot you. And then you came in again. It was different the other days. I think the first time you went back to the road, and someone in their truck hit all of you when I went off the road to drive around the traffic and lost control. I don't know why you left, but I followed after you, calling for you to come back. And I saw you die. Then you came here, only to leave and meet a nasty end at the ravine. The snow kicked up, so I didn't see much of what happened there except for the Lot of you tumbling over one by one. Then, of course, he came here, returned in that condition. All of us were at a loss for words, but it seemed obvious what had to be done. Show us the attic, I told her. The innkeeper nodded wordlessly and gestured for us to follow. We passed by Rusty's mangled corpse at the entrance to the attic and one of my fellow travelers held his hand over his mouth in disgust. Tugging at the cord, Kathleen kept a shotgun at her side and muttered, Every time I've gone up there, the memory of the experience eludes me. The room was dark and cold, but there was something in front of us that was festering with life. I can't describe it with mere words. It was an intangible feeling or a sixth sense that all of us felt. Millions of sparkling eyes burst open like Christmas lights as we got closer, and the trucker closest to the monster screamed in agony. Before he knew what was happening, he turned toward us, the same brilliant light now glowing in his own eyes. It's useless to resist, the trucker said in a monotone voice. "Keith, what are you doing, man? Ross asked. We are trapped as well. Power you supply can keep us alive. The voice said, raising Keith's hand and pushing back Ross like a mere puppet. I turned to look at Kathleen, realizing she'd lured us up here as a trap. "'This is how you feed it?' "'Why?' I snarled, pushing her back against the wall. "'I don't have a choice. It's the only way that the world can be safe,' the innkeeper said as Keith's body contorted and buckled under its new master. "'Join us. Together we can become something greater.' the trucker told us. Somewhere amid the amalgamation of chaos, I also heard desperation. It was trapped, and if it had nothing to feed on, I relaxed my grip on Kathleen, struggling to understand what was happening. When it kills them, they become part of the time loop, I asked her. "'Tobias was able to leave. He told me to keep the cycle going, "'to bring others here so that no other place would ever succumb to its power. "'He... he killed himself. "'The other survivors balked at the suggestion, "'but the monster in front of us was too real to ignore. "'It needs us, so we take away its source of food. "'I realized as I knew why Kathleen didn't remember every encounter with the beast.' "'You've been sacrificing yourself to the beast "'to give others the chance to escape. "'Every new stranger that comes here it "'has been your charge to either feed this thing "'or set them free. "'But who are you to decide who lives and who dies?' "'I asked incredulously. "'I ripped the gun from her hands "'and aimed it toward her head. "'Do... do it. "'Give in to its power.' "'Ross now echoed the words of his companions.' The others were slowly becoming part of the hive mind. No, Tobias had the right idea. We are the masters of our own destiny. This should be our choice. I passed the weapon back to Kathleen, giving her the chance to be free. I will take over for you. Keep this place safe, I told her selflessly. The lingering pain of the mindless creature wailed in anger as I showed empathy. It seemed to be the only thing that made it weaker. Kathleen looked down at the barrel of the gun and said a silent prayer. Then the blackness of death took her. What happened next was a blur. The world around me reverted to the day before. The wintry storm that had trapped us here now was returning, but the road beyond the bed and breakfast now showed figures walking away. I saw Rusty and Ross, even poor Keith, getting back to the trucks and starting to drive away. I knew that by giving up my own chance, they could live free from this curse. So here is where I will stay until this Christmas comes, opening my doors for new guests. You never know. Maybe someone will show me the same kindness as I showed them. Happy holidays. I hope you enjoyed The Motel by Kyle Harrison, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash kyle-harrison. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash k-y-l-e dash h-a-r-r-i-s-o-n. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. I mean, it's a shame that most of the year it's quiet, but I wouldn't mind that. Just me and a strange, hungry entity. I'll bet I'd get really interesting to play cards with. Also up in the wall here is an interesting fellow. Ever hear of a Tommy Banana doll? Why, he's only the hottest toy of the year. But, as Seth Paul told me, sometimes getting your hands on the hottest toy can lead to trouble. Sometimes more trouble than we first suspect. Without further ado, I present to you Aisle 13. Excuse me, do you know where I can find the Tommy Banana toys? The clerk, leaning on the counter and half asleep... Hiked a thumb over his shoulder. I'll 13 past the hardware section. Probably not many left, but I'm I'm sure you know that. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Richard looked at his watch. 10.30. He was lucky the store was still open this late on Christmas Eve, and he guessed he should be thankful there was a chance, after all, to get the toy his kid really wanted. But really, that's all there was. A chance. He kept kicking himself. Should be at home, relaxing in front of the fire, a glass of wine in hand. The radio on, presents under the tree, his wife sitting on the end of the couch, both looking at each other longingly, before realizing they were both too tired to do anything, and passing out under one giant blanket, only waking up as Michael came in shouting that Santa had come. But no, he missed hearing all the warnings. Did he get the Tommy banana doll? When was he getting the Tommy Banana? He had one job to do, and he completely forgot about the Tommy Banana doll. They'd gotten into an argument, and she'd passed it off on him because she had so much to do for the season otherwise. And he kept nodding and saying he'd do it over and over again. And he would have, had he not been so concerned about the big presentation at the office. They'd wanted so many presentation slides, and every time he finished one... A new one would be needed. It was ridiculous. So many slides just for one proposed new office perk. Who needed them? Especially at the end of the quarter. They wouldn't even be breaking ground for another year and a half. It was the holidays. Who cared if the customers celebrated or not? He did, and he was missing everything. He always missed everything. That was the long and the short of it. Baseball practice, first grade graduation... Halloween trick-or-treats. It was always the job, every time. But damn it, this would be different. Starting tonight, he wasn't going to screw it up. i 11. i 12. i 13. He turned the corner. The shelves, as he expected, were picked nearly clean. Some shelves had puzzles that didn't belong on them. Some half-open boxes on the floor that some employee hadn't bothered to pick up but there was a box still in the back, and he got his hopes back up. Tommy Banana, the big hit of the season, the hot new show that was giving Bluey a run for its money in terms of endlessly streaming in the house, and it looked like there was one left. He went over and grabbed the box and looked through the plastic. The box was empty. The bottom flap hung open, torn, some creep having ripped it open and probably stuffed it into a jacket, hiding it as they made their way out of the store. Maybe they'd even gotten caught, but the toy would be in the back of the store somewhere, some detective having locked it up in a safe so it could be repackaged by the manufacturer, resold someday, but not today. Not when it was needed. Richard sighed. It was too good to be true. He'd screwed up again. He should have known when he didn't see anyone else in the aisle but then the store itself was pretty deserted as well. Defeated, he pulled out his phone to call home and let her know he couldn't find it. He found Lucy in his recent contacts and dialed. The phone rang a few times with no answer. Great. She probably didn't even want to talk to him. He didn't blame her. While he felt a little angry that she was giving him so much grief over one toy, but he still understood her frustration. Hey, you're looking for the toy? Richard nearly dropped his phone in surprise, looking back and forth in the aisle, but he saw nobody. He didn't even know where the voice came from until he looked closely at the shelving where he'd taken the box from. In the metal shelves were little holes, light shining through from the next aisle over, and there was movement. He peered through them and thought he saw an eye peering back. Yes, you know where I can find one? You'll have to go to the end of the aisle, then turn around and come back. Richard wrinkled an eyebrow. What's that got to do with anything? You really want it, right? I I suppose. You do whatever you need to get it, right? Well, I don't know if I'd beat anybody with a baseball bat to get one. It's not a Cabbage Patch doll or anything. If you want your son to have it, and you'd do anything to make him happy, then go to the end of the aisle and come back. But it's not going to be easy. Not going to be easy? What did that have to do with anything? Was there some kind of scavenger hunt giveaway that he'd missed when coming in? He checked his watch again. 10.45. And time was a-wasting. And he didn't want my goal to be said come Christmas morning. He'd have to give it a try. He gave whoever was on the other side of the divide a quick wave and walked to the end of the aisle as directed. He looked around at the end of the aisle. There was nobody there. No notes, nothing about a special deal, no cart with leftover items. He peered into aisle 12 to see who he had been speaking to, but there was nobody there either. Richard sighed and turned back around to face aisle 13 once more. He wasn't expecting a whole lot, but he certainly did not expect to see it. The shelf. Another Tommy banana box, almost right where the other one had sat. But it couldn't have been the same one. He'd set that one aside, face down, but this was standing up just like it should have been. The person on the other side must have reached over and put it where he could get it. He ran over and picked it up. There it was, the happy little yellow fellow with bright, bright eyes, ready to go on adventures with his family across the world. Or at least try to from the imaginative corners of his ridiculously spacious backyard. Richard never understood how a family of bananas could own a house in the suburbs, but have a backyard that could keep a barn or two. He turned to go, but in the aisle near him was a lady with a large blue coat and wool hat. She seemed small enough, but the oversized coat and hat made her look like she was trying to escape from the confines of the Michelin Man. Got one of those toys there, buddy? Richard gave her a look as he held the box. Uh, Yeah don't see any left on the shelves, but they might have more on the... Gee, my daughter would really love one. She left it at that, not moving an inch. Again, Richard stood in silence, trying to figure out how to nicely tell her that she was out of luck. Look, I know this time of year can be difficult, but it was very difficult to get this one. They must have a supply around, I'm sure if you look. And if you ask, I'll even go and help you find somebody who could... He never even saw what it was she hit him with. He just knew it was cold, hard, and made an awful sound as it smacked against the side of his head. He dropped the box, falling to the floor, griping and yelling in pain as he heard a commotion and a scurry of feet as she scampered away. He felt his temple, and his hand came away with a slight trickle of blood. The woman and the box were nowhere to be seen. "'Hello? Security? Security!' He stood up and looked around, but he saw and heard no one. He went out into the main walkway and looked around. It was deathly quiet. There was no one running up to him, having heard him cry out. No announcement over the PA for assistance for anyone in the aisles. There wasn't even any music playing. It was like he was alone in here. Hello? Anyone? I need help. I've been... The lights in the store began to go out like someone was flicking off the switches... "'and closing up for the evening. "'Only emergency lights along the edges remained lit. "'Hey, I'm still in here. "'Someone? Anyone?' "'No one seemed to hear, and the lights still continued to turn off "'until he was left in mostly darkness, "'only the exit lights still on, guiding him toward the front doors. "'Well, there was the employee at the front. "'She would still be there, most likely. "'He half-jogged his way back, still wincing from the dull ache in his head.' seeing the line of checkout registers up ahead. But the lady was no longer there. There was a cell phone playing a video of some sort, but no actual person. He went to the automatic doors that led out to the parking lot, but they refused to budge. He pulled at them to try and open them, but the bolt that held them together was stuck tight, and even when he pounded on the glass, he realized that it was safety glass, and it wouldn't budge even if he threw a deck chair at it. What's going on? How did somebody lock up the store and get the lights out so quickly without even announcing the store was closing? He checked his watch. No way it could be 11 yet. And he was right, it wasn't 11. His digital clock read 1234. Well, that couldn't be right. He hadn't been here for over two hours. He tapped it, turning it to open the texting function or email, but it was frozen in time. He heard footsteps at last coming from an aisle near the boys' clothing section. He turned to it. "Uh, Hey, anyone? Lady, if that's you, I can pay you. You can get your daughter something very nice, and you don't have to go to the police about this. He turned the corner, and there was somebody there. It was clearly not the woman, nor an employee, but someone the size of a child. But no one would have brought their kid here, not at this time of night. Um, excuse me. The little figure straightened up and Richard backed away. Even in the dim light, what he saw was not anything that should have been in any store at any time of night. It looked like a doll, porcelain in nature, with large puffy hair and a dress that had gone out of style decades ago. But the face itself was cracked, and underneath there was another face, human, but horrifically scarred and rotted. She looked up at him with plaintive blue eyes, rolling loosely in its sockets. It reached out with its unmoving fingers as if excited at the idea of someone else in this place. The porcelain face didn't change, but the mouth visible underneath grinned. Ooh ooh ooh. Richard continued to back up, checking behind him so he wouldn't run into something that would block his progress and allow this doll creature to catch him. Oh, oh the good ship. Lollipop. It's a sweet treat to the candy shop. The voice sounded warbly, but the singing was something Richard had heard before, though he couldn't place it. Not that it gave him any comfort. At this he turned, not caring to see it anymore, and ran into the darkness of the shop, just hoping it would put distance between him and that thing. Then something reached out from an aisle and grabbed his ankle. He fell, putting out his hand just in time to keep from slamming his head into the towel floor. He looked down and saw a hand gripping his ankle, attached to an arm that stretched unnaturally long, diving back into an aisle leading to canned goods. A man emerged, crawling on the floor, but everything about him was unnaturally long and stretched, his limbs making twanging noises, and a horrific moan came from his mouth as he crawled closer. Richard pounded at the fingers, trying to get them to let go, but as he pulled at them, they too seemed to stretch and bend unnaturally, like under the skin was a network of springs. Reaching into his pockets, he dug out his keys, and he began running the edges over the fingers, hoping that if that didn't get them to let go, he would keep going until they completely sliced off. No blood came out, but the man bellowed, and his fingers wriggled and bent, and in that moment of indecision... Richard pulled free, getting to his feet before the elongated man could move once more. He noticed his watch again, and he frowned. Twelve forty-five. But again, the time had to be wrong. There was no way it was ten minutes between the doll and the man on the floor. Seconds, maybe, but not minutes. But then, as he watched, the time actually changed. The numbers bouncing and flickering until they came on a number they couldn't have. Twelve seventy-nine. That time didn't exist. He heard another noise, a scratchy digital noise, as he stopped short of something uh, crashing out in front of him, looking confused and disoriented. Or at least it would have if it had anything resembling a normal head. But its head consisted of a television set, mounted on top of a vaguely boxy brown and black shape with a mouth hole in the middle from which horrific sounds were emerging. The TV flashed, and a pair of eyes appeared on him, though nothing else did, just eyes, floating in blackness, occasionally appearing a blue-and-white blocky image, Uh, but they still looked at Richard. A mouth hole, a square-shaped thing, had a plastic flap, and as it gained its senses, it screamed and lunged at him. Richard dodged, moving out of the range of its fingers, and saw even those did not appear correct. They had no joint but were simply black sticks with knuckles that looked like red buttons. He got past it and pulled at a display of tortilla chips, knocking them into the thing. It tripped and fell, the television head landing hard on the floor. It didn't break, but it didn't get back up. It lay there, and another scratchy sound emerged from its face slot. It was crying. There were sobs. Richard ran on, finally reaching the back of the store... "'the employee's only back room. "'No locks here. "'Maybe this would allow him to leave at last. "'He checked his watch. "'1283. "'As he entered the back area "'where a warehouse of supplies "'lay on endless shelves, "'shrink-wrapped and ready for some "'unfortunate minimum-wage slacker "'to put out on display, "'he heard more footsteps. "'But unlike the others, "'these were running away from him, "'retreating into a distance.' He saw a flash of blue. It had to be her, the one who stole his toy. He gave chase, hoping that maybe, hope beyond hope, he would be able to not only escape this place, but recover the toy for his son as well. He turned the corner, the blue always seeming just a little ways ahead. He turned another corner, and another, and another, until he realized there was no physical way he could keep turning a corner and not end up being back where he started but the blue jacket was finally getting closer. She must be getting tired. And then she was just in front. He leaped and tackled the shape, relying on the enormous jacket to cushion their fall. He rolled her over on her back, and as he did so, her wool hat fell off. The hair underneath unraveled into a tangle of brown wool as well. Her face was oddly swollen, like she had the mumps, and her eyes widened as she recognized her pursuer, She started screaming and thrashing, kicking and striking him wherever she could. The Tommy banana worked its way from under her coat zipper and fell free to the floor. It was right there. Even as Richard tried to reach for it, though, her hands reached out to grip at him, tear, even though, as he could see, her fingers were stubby, stuck together, like she had some rare birth condition. He couldn't get the toy unless he let her go, but if he did... "'She would certainly attack him. "'And who knew what other weapons she had hidden if he did? "'Richard raised his fist to strike her back, "'though thoughts went through his head that made him hesitate. "'I can't hit somebody. "'She robbed you. "'She could have killed you all over a toy. "'She should never do it again. "'She has a daughter. "'You have a son, and he's waiting for you to come home. "'Make sure that's what happens. "'It's a toy. "'You had it first. She has no right to do whatever she did. He looked down once more at the Tommy Banana out of the box, lying there with its sappy expression. The strange, freakish woman still fought at him, her eyes crazed, angry, wanting that toy beyond all desire. Is this worth it? Richard pushed her away from him. She immediately grabbed the toy and took off into the darkness of the warehouse. He didn't give him chase this time. It's just a toy. There'll be another one next year that's the big thing, and the year after that. Then it'll be a game console, and we'll have to take out a second mortgage to cover all the games. It's life. He didn't know how long he'd run for, but he turned, and there was the employee door leading back into the store. He went through it, though he dreaded what new thing he might encounter outside. He didn't expect to step out into light, The store lights were all back on, and as he looked back through the employee door, he saw lights on in there as well, though there was no way they could have been turned on that quickly. He checked the time. 10.46. There was still nobody in the store, but the lights were on, and the music was playing over the speakers. Curiously, looking down the aisles he passed, he saw no bizarre shapes, no creatures... Just one other late shopper grabbing some groceries for a meal for one. It was enough. He went back to the front, dialing his phone again to see if he could reach Lucy this time. She picked up on the third ring. Hello? Hey, I was looking at the store, but I couldn't. Excuse me, sir? He looked over to see the front counter lady waving him over. She looked like she hadn't moved from her post, though she certainly hadn't been there earlier. She reached under the counter and pulled out Atomic Banana and Box, everything in mint condition. I was looking through the return bins, and they had one. Figured I'd hold it for you when you came back. But I think you went the wrong way. All 13's that way. I'll call you back in a minute. Hang on. He hung up the phone. Yes, I I was over there earlier, but I was checking just to see if... Well, if they'd ended up somewhere else. I know what you mean, I... One time I was doing stock and found a pair of underwear in the chunky soups. I mean, it's all clean and the food was sealed, but I can tell you that I didn't buy any soups for a week. You still want this? You sure, I'll take it. As she rang him up, a few other thoughts struck him. Hey, do you remember when Cabbage Patch dolls were a big thing? Oh, yes. I was uh, actually in high school working counters when all that happened. Crazy times. You know, there was a lady that was killed here. Really? I never heard that. They never really wanted to talk about it, but it also wasn't as a result of trying to buy the damn things. She robbed somebody in the store, and the police shot her a couple of blocks over when she resisted arrest. You don't say. When was that? Christmas, 83. I think something happened when the Atari came out a few years earlier, but I wasn't working then. Same result, though it wasn't anywhere near as crazy from the sound of things. Richard handed over his credit card. You ever wonder what drives somebody to go that nuts over a toy? Don't know. Some people will do almost anything for love or desperation. She ran his card, then handed it back. You're all set. Have a happy holiday. You too. He picked up the bag. But I guess it's a good thing we don't always act that way. Not everything is worth that. Nope especially knowing you could have probably gotten this half-price shopping online. Have to remember that for next year. Richard walked out the door to the parking lot. As he unlocked his car and carefully put Tommy on the passenger seat, he had two thoughts. First was that he had a lot of research to do about the history of this store. The second was that, for the first time in a while, he was going to be proud to see his son and it had nothing to do with a little plush banana buckled in for a long ride home. I hope you enjoyed Owl 13 by Seth Paul as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author... You can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash seth-paul. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash s-e-t-h-p-a-u-l. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. And more than that, a thank you to all of tonight's featured authors. Even as we foray into the depths of darkness with tonight's show, we all in the Chilling Entertainment family wish you all the best this holiday season. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts, and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jerry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep. If you can. <laughs> But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway?
1: (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start.